This is Gordon Vernick with Jazz Insights. listening to the music of Erskine Tate, who had a very popular large dance band in Chicago in the early 20s, and that's one of his famous recordings called Stomp Off. And it sounds like it's collectively improvised, like New Orleans-style music, but you have to remember this is all carefully written out to make it sound like it is collectively improvised music. Contrary to popular belief, even in the mid-20s, the big bands were one of the most popular forms of entertainment that people would go out to hear and would dance to these groups. So that's Erskine Tate, and his music it does sound like it has a certain spontaneity, but it certainly has great energy and vitality, and is using the ragtime rhythms and, of course, the feel of the New Orleans musicians, the rhythmic feel that they generate when they play. Another important group from the same period was led by a man by the name of Doc Cook, who had a very famous and popular band in Chicago. And you have to remember that Chicago really was the center of jazz music development in the 20s. You know, by the end of the 20s, it would move to New York City, and then, of course, Kansas City and the Midwest is developing their own particular, you know, style of jazz. Doc Cook's Dreamland Orchestra was incredibly popular in Chicago in the 20s. Let's listen to one of their recordings. This is called the Memphis Maybe man. This is going to lead us to one of the most important ensembles in the 1920s that pioneered big band jazz. And that, of course, that is the Fletcher Henderson Orchestra. A little background on Fletcher Henderson. He was from Cuthbert, Georgia, which is a small town outside of Columbus, Georgia. Both his parents were school teachers. And Fletcher um, took piano lessons, was formally trained from a very early age. He was an outstanding musician and quite a good composer. Um, he attended Atlanta University probably from about 1915 to about 1917 or 1918. He graduated and he moved to New York ostensibly to go back to school and uh, study to become a pharmacist. Music for him was more of a, a sideline, was an avocation. But because he was such a fine musician in New York, he became an accompanist for some of the most important and famous blues singers of the day, Mamie Smith, Bessie Smith. He was a fine pianist. He could read music. And before you know it, he really had given up his aspirations for becoming a pharmacist and was a full-time musician. By a few twists of fate, he became a band leader in the early 20s and started making records for record companies. In fact, he was involved with Black Swan Records, which was the first black 
owned record company in the country. So he's involved with all this wonderful music and also an important part of the Harlem Renaissance in the early 20s in New York City. Because of his reputation as a fine pianist and accompanist and as a band leader, he was offered the opportunity to lead a band to the most famous dance hall in New York City in those days. And of course, that's the Roseland Ballroom. Now, in those days, in a large ensemble, if you didn't have an arranger, a staff arranger, you bought arrangements, and they were called stock arrangements. And any musicians out there know that stock arrangements are generally awful. They are horrible. It'd be like comparing a fast food hamburger to a five-star restaurant. It serves the same purpose, but it's not of the same quality. So when Fletcher started his group, he hired a wonderful saxophonist and a very fine composer and arranger by the name of Don Redman. Those days, they had to play for six hours, so they need a lot of music, and Henderson and Redman really weren't doing that much writing. What happened was they were using these horrible arrangements, and little by little, they would doctor them up. They would change them. They began to cross out certain sections and rewrite them, and within about a year, they were no longer using these stock arrangements. By 1923 and 24, this band is becoming the most popular dance band in New York City. Let's listen to one of their first recordings. This is called Dicty Blues. Back in those days, Dicty meant that you were putting on airs. You were trying to act very sophisticated. And the Dicty part of this arrangement are the chimes that are so prominently featured. One of the things that really changed the Henderson Band was the addition of the greatest jazz musician ever, and that's Louis Armstrong. At this time, Louis was living and playing in Chicago with King Oliver's group. Fletcher Henderson knew about Louis Armstrong because he had toured through Chicago, and in 1924, Henderson invited Louis Armstrong to join his group. And at first, Louis didn't want to do it, but Louis's wife, Lil, you know, encouraged him, said that this is a very important opportunity. You need to go. No one in New York was playing like Louis Armstrong, and this was his first experience in the city, and this was also the first time New Yorkers heard someone of the caliber of Louis Armstrong, who's the first great soloist. Within the first night of him performing the Fletcher Henderson Orchestra, of course, this is a greatly embellished legend, but it's the stuff that, you know, movies are made out of, that his playing was so strong and so different from all the New York City musicians. And remember, at this time, Henderson's orchestra had the finest musicians in New York, but could not hold a candle to Louis Armstrong. And it changed the way the Henderson Orchestra sounded. And all of a sudden, Don Redman, who you know realizes that they have this amazing musician in the group, starts to write arrangements that feature Armstrong and also begins writing in a style that is reminiscent of the way Armstrong plays. This is a transition from a large ensemble to what's known as a hot jazz band. And this is really the beginning of big band jazz. Let's listen to another wonderful piece from this period. This is entitled, Oh Baby.
With the addition of Louis Armstrong, they're able to capture that energy, the swing, the vitality, and the real jazz feel of the architect of American music, Louis Armstrong. And when you hear this particular recording, Oh Baby, you can hear uh, Coleman Hawkins play a wonderful solo, but rhythmically speaking, and is, in terms of note choice, he can't hold a candle to Louis Armstrong. In fact, Coleman Hawkins later in life, when interviewed, said that that was one of the most important um, experiences of his, of his life, was hearing Louis Armstrong play because it changed Coleman Hawkins' approach to playing the saxophone. Now, one of the important pieces that features Louis Armstrong with the Henderson Band, recorded in 1924, is a famous recording entitled Copenhagen. Don Redmond develops a style of writing for big bands we call sectional writing. He didn't invent sectional writing, but he's the first one to really apply it to this new sound in music, the sound of a jazz, large jazz ensemble. By sectional writing, it means that he treats the saxophone just one section, the trumpets could be two or three trumpets treated as another section, and then the trombone section, and would pit one section against the other. He would write um, little counter melodies, do call and response, and he also left spaces in the arrangement for solos. The subject of one of my next shows is going to be Duke Ellington, who builds upon this format and, of course, takes it to the next level, being able to balance written music with improvised music. Because what is jazz without improvisation? The demise of the of big band era is partly due to the fact that so much of the music was being written, it didn't leave any room for um, spontaneity, except for in a few instances. But this is the first instance of modern big band jazz, the Fletcher Henderson Orchestra in New York City from 1924 to 26, and they made some wonderful recordings. Now, Armstrong, he wanted to go back to Chicago. He missed Chicago. All his friends were there. He only stayed in New York for, I believe, nine months. He made quite a few recordings with Henderson, but also recorded with Clarence Williams in uh, the Red Onion Jazz Babies. He also made quite a few recordings with Bessie Smith. He was a celebrity in New York. People couldn't believe that someone could play the trumpet the way he did. In fact, by the second or third night at the Roseland Dance Hall, people were lined up outside just to hear this new cat from New Orleans who was blowing up a storm. This is the first national impact that Louis Armstrong had on jazz was his time in New York and those recordings he made with the Henderson Orchestra. Don Redmond stayed with Henderson through 1926 or 27 and then left to become the um, leader of McKinney's Cotton Pickers, which was a famous band from um, the Midwest. It had some wonderful recordings. And Redmond had a long career as a saxophonist and a composer and arranger. In fact, he made some recordings with Louis Armstrong that are wonderful from the 1920s. But the Henderson group, you can't underestimate the impact that that had on American popular music and big band jazz because that's probably the first modern 
style big band in this genre. And of course, groups throughout the 20s, including the Duke Ellington Orchestra and some of those great bands from the Midwest, build on this model until we get into the 1930s when the rhythm section style begins to smooth out. And of course, they replace the tuba with a string bass and you don't hear banjo anymore. And then you get a more of a modern rhythm section style. But this period in the 20s is really interesting because Henderson and Redmond really rewrite the book on how modern American popular music is going to be played. Let's go out with Henderson's arrangement of Sugarfoot Blues. Mm-hmm. 